pray just one more second. Um, Father, oh, give me peace, Lord. Um, yeah, help us to um, be able to hear what you're saying. And um, would you just pull from me the important parts in Jesus' name? Um, so I have a couple of um, a couple of things that one that the Lord has been talking to me about, and and then kind of um, a book I've been reading, um, a, a history book, and He kind of took this and this other thing that seemed disconnected, and He pulled them together. Um, so hopefully I can pull them together this morning, and it will make sense um, where I'm going with this. So. Um, about, I'm going to say it was about two months ago, I have, I was, um, in conversation, I was driving, I probably do a lot of my best praying driving, he just hits me sometimes, I don't know, I'm alone, and I just feel a lot of grace to pray while I'm driving, and this day, um, I, I just remember it, I was driving, and somebody had done something that really hurt my feelings, and um, I really appreciate what Stephanie prayed at the end and just this, um, you know, we have the things that we'll, we say out loud to each other. We have the things that we'll even pray in the prayer room, which is probably less than what I'd share with my friends. And then we have the things that we're not telling other people. And um, it, um, I think there's something about people just hurting my feelings that feels very childish. And so um, there's certain things, uh, ways that I'll feel or um, just different sin that I'm dealing with that just feels like I shouldn't. Um, and those are the things that I tend to cover up. So, you know, when um, Steph's talking about being angry and she'll name it other things and, you know, just all of the things that we do, well, we try to like garnish it <laughs> so it doesn't look like roadkill, you know, um, so we can pretend like it's something else. And so it, this just this conversation with the Lord where I'm saying, God, this person did this and it really hurt, but I know they didn't, um, I know they didn't mean it. And I probably, I think I'm tired, like I'm crabby and, uh, um, and all of these words just are flooding my mind. Like I can't really stop. I, like I can't shut up. It's all in my head, but I can't shut up. And, um, some, I had heard somebody who had shared a testimony and they were cautioning about, um, the amount of words that are going through your head when you're trying to talk to the Lord, like who's talking? Are you just, are you endlessly talking or do you stop and let him talk? And so I just stopped, like the Holy Spirit just like kicked me in the shins and I just, I stopped and I went back to the beginning and I said, God, my feelings are really hurt. And I just started, you know, crying and I'm driving and I shouldn't have been crying and, um, you know, like pull over. And and I just stopped, and it was so painful to just stop there and say, God, my feelings are hurt. And I feel stupid that my feelings are hurt. And, and he, like, just, I said, can I say any more than that? And he said, no. He's like, just wait. Just wait for me to talk. And then he just talked to me about it. And it helped. And I thought, oh, I can see, like, this is a pattern. When I have things that I, especially that I feel embarrassed about, I really try to cover them up. Um, and so that all started because um, I was just dealing with hurt feelings. But really where it took me and where the Lord, um, I found a lot of freedom in is uh, just jealousy. And so um, I've known that I was going to talk about jealousy for probably four weeks, five weeks, and I've been praying for today for a long time, so I feel like I have a lot of um, 
expectation for the Lord to move and take us um, into deeper freedom. We've had a word that there's great grace um, to get clean. And, and so, but it's a different level of digging in our hearts and, and being honest with ourselves about like, hey, I'm a hateful person or I'm a really jealous person. Um, jealousy is, okay, so years ago I read uh, the description in the, I think it's the novel of Peter Pan. The author um, describes Tinkerbell that she's so little and her brain is so small that she can only hold one emotion in her brain at a time. And that is why she's always mad and that's why she's always jealous. And like, and then I see her pulling Wendy's hair and it like kind of provides some comic relief for me when it comes to jealousy, but also maybe it reinforced this thing. Like if you're feeling, if I'm jealous of someone that it's, um, in my heart, it always feels really childish. And I think, um, especially when you have a Bible and you know all the verses, right? Um, we're one body and we're all different parts and we're supposed to be happy that we're our own part. Um, we know like the Lord's eye is on us. It's on the sparrow. So like, he's not neglecting us. He sees everybody, you know, just all the things that are true, um, and yeah, and so um, what he started showing me was um, when I would feel jealous that I was using things that I knew that maybe were true, but I was using them to just cover up the weed of jealousy. I would just heap it on, um, you know, just, Lord, my friend just got a brand new car and I am happy for them. You know, you'll know you're lying to God when your voice goes up like half an octave. I'm happy for them because I have overdraft fees and it sucks. And why? Like, why? Why do other people have things that I don't? Or, you know, just, but I'm not jealous. God, I'm happy for them. They needed a new car. It's good. I know you'll take care of me. And it's just like, um, instead of stopping and saying, Lord, I'm jealous and calling it what it is, and wait a minute and let him come and talk to you. It's like, but I know I shouldn't be. And so I'm going to keep covering this weed up. Do you know what happens to weeds when you cover them with more dirt? <laughs> they don't go away. Nothing's going away. Anything that we are in our flesh with our reasoning, covering up, they're not going anywhere. They're growing. And we don't know what they're going to become. Um, The, um, I'm like, how do I segue this? There's Proverbs 14.30. It says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Um, and then I like this one. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Jealousy is um, a huge issue. So the Lord is doing this very tender thing, actually. It's bringing me a lot of freedom. So I'm experiencing this conversation with the Lord about jealousy in this way that I'm just, I'm receiving a lot of freedom from it. And not trying to cover it up and just letting God shine his light on it and start to actually deal with it instead of covering it up and pretending it's going away. And um, at the same time, uh, Tom and I were in Barnes & Noble and I, I'm walking... I don't know why we're there. It's probably Christmas time and we're just there. And I look at a book and I'm like, I want that book. And um, it is... I have it up here because I'm going to quote it. Um, it's a uh, history of pogroms, the persecution of Jews in Eastern Europe um, post-World War I, between World War I and II. Um, and it's called In the Midst of Civilized Europe um, by a man named Jeffrey Weidlinger. And um, I, um, I kind of 
remember a little like a paragraph in history in high school about the pogroms, but really it's eclipsed by the, the greater you know, tragedy of the Holocaust, which I think we probably all know more about. Um, if you know nothing about the pogroms, can you raise your hand? So, okay, yeah, this, we don't get taught a ton about it. At the time though, it was a, it was a really big deal, um, but then the Holocaust happened you know, 20 years later, and that's mostly what we have learned about. Um, and so as I'm reading this book, I'm realizing, um, you know, when you read history, you have to read it through, you know, the lens of talking to the Holy Spirit about it, like God, what really was happening? You know, this person's got their um, bias and they've got, you know, they're, they're telling you facts, but Lord, what are you telling me about it? Why did you have me grab this book and start reading it? It's actually a really long book. It's a little heavy. Um, and, and really one of the things that the Lord was really pulling out of this is the role of jealousy and, and how it just is a monster. It is a monster. And it is, um, he kept calling it to me, um, when I was praying the crouching tiger inside of us, um, in James uh, 3.14, he says, um, but if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. And so I kind of go back to that um, thing which he was showing me, which was I was taking... Um, I was taking things in my life, and particularly like the sin of jealousy and covering it up. And he's like, all of that covering up, even though it, it, it's the garnishing, it's you trying to dress it so it's not so bad, and it... Um, and you can pretend that it's not that bad. It's turning you into a liar and it's turning you, it's, it's showing that you're prideful. He's like, don't cover it up. Um, yeah, the, it's, he says it's only the light of Christ that's going to set us free. So we have to bring everything to the surface and um, let it be exposed to the light where God can actually kill these weeds. Um, he was reminding me um, during the depression in the United States, there were um, in the in the Plains region um, these terrible dust bowls. They had um, used really terrible farming practices for generations, and it had depleted the soil to such an extent that um, have you guys ever seen like dust storms? But terrible. Um, they don't happen like they were then because they actually passed laws to change farming practices. The land was so stripped of any kind of anything that was holding it down that the wind would um, it would get going, pick up dust, um, and and so it actually created man's um, um, kind of rape of the land had, was creating weather systems, like creating weather. And rolling from from the plains all the way to the east coast sometimes, and um, and so if you went back and you and or if you looked in books and you were like, well, whose fault was it? You probably would find some names, but really, if you asked the Lord, like, whose fault was it? It would be generations of people, not just farmers, just greed in the nation. Um, it would be a million people's fault. It's, it's like this thing inside of us. And I think he just reminded me of that picture of all of these little decisions that people were making, and it turned into a storm. It turned into huge problems. Um, and, and what he's asking us today is just to think about the crouching tiger that is inside of us, and do we... Are we going to be diligently bringing it before him and believe that it can turn into a problem that you would never, 
You can become somebody, become somebody that you never thought you would ever be and do things that you thought you never could do because there are a lot of people in this world doing things. You know, you read the stories of the Holocaust or the pogroms, and there were probably a bunch of people. They never planned to do those things. They never planned to do them, right? They didn't wake up in their morning and write in their journal, I kind of want to stab somebody, you know? I want to betray my neighbor. They never thought they'd do that. James 4, 1 through 3, it says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Um, I just, I'm just going to go to Genesis really quick and read the story of Cain and Abel. This is in Genesis 4, 3 through 10. It says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which, was, which has swallowed your brother's blood. Um, in my imagination, always, I have um, this verse 8 where it says, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the field, and then he kills him. In my head, it's always been like two or three days later. And the Lord was like, well, what if it was like a decade later? Right? That felt like a wow for me, too. And he goes, wow. <laughs> what if it was 20 years later? It doesn't say, like, how much later that was. How long did he let that? And the Lord, talk, the Lord tried to talk to him. He said, he even told him exactly what was wrong. He felt rejected, really. He's so angry, but really what he's feeling is he's feeling rejected. Maybe he was feeling super embarrassed, and it grew into something. It grew into anger, and then it grew into something that he kept inside of him until... It kind of bubbled over. It says that he attacked his brother and killed him. Well, did he mean to kill him? You know, like, did, it, did everything just escalate? The Lord told him, you, um, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And I think that we would all say, according to um, the counsel of a more full counsel of scripture is it would have been really wise for him to look at God and say, I cannot subdue this. I need your help. And he could have been free, but he, maybe he didn't know. He didn't realize he could tell God because God was telling him to do something that was impossible to subdue this um, anger that would overtake him. Um, 
Um, I'm just going to jump into some history. So I like history. I'm going to teach you guys a little bit about the pogroms and about anti-Semitism post-World War I um, and how, um, how jealousy and covetousness led to so much murder. Um, so the pogroms, I never realized this, but the pogroms happened in what is modern-day Ukraine. Um, so that kind of gives it, because of the war in Ukraine, it feels like something you can kind of grab a hold of. Like this, So this all took place in modern-day Ukraine. Um, and they are, that word pogrom, it just means riots against the Jews. Um, and so the time frame I'm talking about is from 1918 um, to 1921. Although some similar things happened in a smaller way before uh, back to, you know, Probably back forever, but I know recorded back into like the 18, like 40s. Um, most of what is now Ukraine um, was historically a Polish-Lithuanian commonwealth in the 17th and 18th, 18th century, and then it got it. It was divided um, into Tsarist Russia and Austria, um, and so at the uh, around you know World War One, the beginning of the uh, 20th century, there were about 30 million Jews, three million. I'm sorry, three million Jews living in what is now Ukraine. Um, Jews historically have just kind of settled in a place, experienced persecution, and then they have to move again. Um, and so this area in Ukraine, for a long time, it was, um, it was, it was a good place for them to be settled. Um, and I think it is, um, in Europe, it is like the third largest um, population of Jews in, in Europe um, still to this day. Um, So um, at, at the time that I'm talking about, um, post-World War I, Jews made up about 12% of the population in Ukraine. And they lived, um, there were ethnic Ukrainians. So it's kind of a little bit of a melting pot, This these countries that are kind of in the middle of everything. And so they're, uh, there's just certain places in the earth that tend to get jerked around, like different powers are trying to um, jerk them around. And... Um, and Ukraine is like that. So there were, you know, the ethnic Ukrainian, um, largely peasants. Um, you had wealthy Polish, um, like nobility landowners. Um, and then you had like Russian bureaucrats. Um, so it's kind of like a, a melting pot. Um, Jews by Russian law were restricted to certain parts of Ukraine. They couldn't live in the whole country. It wasn't Ukraine at that point. Um, Russia um, had jurisdiction over it. Um, but they they limited where they could live. And then, of course, they're just set apart like a lot of different people. They, they dressed different. They spoke Yiddish. Um, they had different religious practices, probably a big one, you know, with everybody else as kind of a Christian, you know, going to church on Sunday kind of thing. Um, they also, um, as far as their, um, what do I want to say, like jobs, they, they were very few Jewish farmers. And so... Um, uh, like the this peasant class, like the farmers, that they were not Jewish people. They they were mostly Ukrainian, and um, but a lot of Jews owned businesses. They lived more in town than out in the country, and um, or they managed the estates of um, Polish nobles. And and then railroads came through, and just like you know, in the United States, different industries, cities popped up, and and then there were all these um, manufacturing businesses that were started. So a lot of Jews in this area were um, had more wealth than the than the um, Ukrainian people who lived there were poor. Um, 
And so uh, just something that I want to like highlight is um, it's just racism, uh, ethnic hatred, hatred of other people. I think, you know, it is the flesh that wanted to keep um, the Tower of Babel going and everybody in one place speaking one language, looking the same, doing the same. It makes us feel safe. Um, we're, it's human nature that we're always going to gravitate toward people that are like us. We kind of know what we're getting. Um, there's more camaraderie with people who are like us. Um, and it's difficult, and I think... Um, it can really highlight how much we don't want to lay ourselves down and love other people when we don't want to uh, be around people that are not like us. Um, and racism in our heart, it has to be confronted, and it's there. I mean, you guys, you know the jokes your grandpa told, right? Like, it's, it's there. Um, and it's just our tendency to hate and distrust what is different. Um, but God loves diversity, and he's, it was his idea. There will be nations, tribes, and tongues. Um, so World War I is kind of winding down, and so between World War I and there is um, a civil war that comes into Ukraine immediately afterwards. So between 1914 and 1921, 20% of Ukraine's population is dead, um, which is huge. Um, and it's hard to picture. I actually have a quote because I'm like, it's just... Uh, it's hard to paint the picture, but there's so many different people pulling, right? So you have all the chaos of like a post-World War world. And, but what is, what is rising in Russia is the Bolshevik revo the revolution. So the Bolshevik ideology of um, wealth distribution is really attractive to a lot of people, um, including a lot of Jewish people. Um, as in Western Europe, when like this feudalism system. So like, you know, you wealthy landowners and then nobody else owns land, but you are like a tenant farmer. Um, that was dying when uh, Eastern Europe really grabbed hold of that idea. So like the World War One, you don't think of peasant farmers. And there weren't as many um, really in Western Europe, but Eastern Europe, there still were like this people who didn't own anything. And so this idea of um, wealth redistribution was very attractive. I mean, I know better and it's attractive, <laughs> right? Um, so you had like uh, people that were, mm, all these things are happening. So you've got like the Bolshevik revolution happening. You have the Ukrainian Pe People's Republic is trying to like an independent Ukraine. Um, so like the Bolsheviks were like the Red Army from Russia. The White Army would have been like those who were um, loyal to like the czarist monarchy kind of idea like they're fighting somehow the Germans get in there um, there's all these different people so you've got like your urban intellectuals and factory workers um, peasant farmers who are like alright yeah redistribution of wealth sounds good we've been farming for these really rich people and we have nothing for generations this sounds good um, uh, people that own businesses or were running those estates, it wasn't so good. You know, they didn't think this was a good idea. So just like right now, all kinds of political ideologies and ideas about what is good, what's going to take the country forward. And um, Jews were on every side of it. Um, and there just begins this huge tug of war for control in Ukraine. They call it a civil war. Um, and it was a war that had, there were no clear 
There were no clear sides. Hold on, I want to read this quote. I just didn't want to type all of this because I'm just trying to, um, I think we can really put ourselves in this picture because, uh, you know, one thing I think especially Tom talks about is a lot of um, when persecution for Christians comes, they're not going to look at your denomination card. You know, a Christian is a Christian. And, but, you know, if you're in kind of the Christian community, you know that, like, that's not true. We believe all different kinds of things. We look all different. We're in different economic uh, places. Um, we're very diverse. And, and so just highlighting that it was the exact same thing with these Jewish people. There, it was not, all Jewish people did not think the same way. They weren't robots. Um, Jews were not the only ethnic or religious minority targeted. Armenians, Mennonites, Muslim Crimean Tartars, as well as Ukrainians themselves suffered heavily, but Jewish civilians alone were singled out for persecution by virtually everyone. The Bolsheviks despised them as bourgeois, did I say that right? Nationalists. The bourgeois nationalists branded them Bolsheviks. Ukrainians saw them as agents of Russia. Russians suspected them of being German sympathizers. The Poles doubted their loyalty to the newly found Polish Republic. Dispersed in urban pockets and insufficiently concentrated in any one contingent contingent territory, Jews were unable to make a credible claim to sovereignty. They could be found on all sides of the conflict, allying with the group that was most likely to maintain stability and ensure the safety of the community. As As a result, no one fully trusted them. Regardless of one's political inclination, there was always a Jew to blame. This is the picture. (laughs) And this is the persecution that will come for us. There's no light hot badge that shows that you've been, that you care about sanctification and loving people. Nobody cares. So the war had no clear sides, and really lawlessness was abounding as well. Um, It's not a good environment. The... um, like when there's a war and there's no clear sides, it just makes like there, you just know there's a boogeyman, right? You know there's a monster under the bed and everybody's trying to figure it out. So it's like rumors. I mean, this is the perfect environment for rumors and conspiracies to just be like fan the flame of rumor and conspiracy. And they're abounding and everybody's trying to figure out, okay, like who's on my side? Who's trying to get me? And mostly like who's to blame? Like who is to blame for all of this? And that is like which hunt, I just keep saying a cauldron, which hunt soup, like this is a recipe for a witch hunt, is who's on my side, who's trying to get me, and who is to blame for the mess that we're in. And there's always a scapegoat. There's always a scapegoat. And like this, I don't even, racism is like the word that's coming to my mind, but like this kind of hatred it swings back, if you watch, it swings back to the Jewish people, like, every time. It might take a long, like, wide eclipse, but it comes back to the Jewish people. Ask yourself why. Demons drive this. Like, this is demonic. The people of God should not be, like, we don't need to give in to conspiracy theories. We don't need to be, like, um, swinging in the dark at monsters. We should know. We should know who the enemy is. At all times. Like, why wouldn't we? We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Um, I know that Paul was, he's talking about running his race, but in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, he says, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. 
And then in Ephesians 6, of course, um, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. We have at our disposal the Holy Spirit, and we can ask him, God, I feel like I'm fighting. And it can start now. It can feel like, God, this person is just resisting me. Or, or I feel like, you know, this about this person. Like, what do you think? What is the real enemy here? Is there a real enemy here? And he will, like, every time he's going to be like, they're, you know, they're not your enemy. <laughs> Pray for them. There's a, um, the conservative estimate about how many people died during the pogrom years is um, 40,000, 100,000 is probably um, the more realistic count. And, um, and with another 70,000 people dying afterwards due to, uh, you know, the injuries they had sustained and um, starvation and anything that was connected to it, which feels like a really big one, but then you, you can see like where the Holocaust came and it's like, okay, 6 million Jews died and it kind of eclipses this. So, um, in your world history book in high school, it fell off. Um, about 600,000 Jews, um, had to flee the country with millions more displaced internally. Um, two thirds of all Jewish homes and over half of Jewish owned businesses were looted or destroyed. So just like Imagine Kalamazoo, and we, we all know a lot of Christians in this community. Just imagine all of your Christian friends spread out in Kalamazoo County, and two-thirds of them, they're home, they don't have stuff anymore. People came and stole all their things, possibly burned their house down. Think of all the Christian businesses in this town that you know of, half of them gone completely looted. And, and you can just see like the, this try, I mean, and just, you know, the abuse, um, obviously like a lot of bad things happened to people that did not kill them, that were deeply painful. And this at the time, it, I mean, people all over the world were very concerned. There were Jewish organizations that were, um, um, really diligent, very alarmed about this, came afterwards, documented. There's actually really good document documentation down to, like, what street this happened on, the people's names, you know, the neighbor that did it. Um, there's really good documentation about um, what this what happened. And, um, and, and people, newspapers across the world were like, wait, what's going on with the Jews in Eastern Europe? It was just so... Um, you know, the name of this book is called In the Midst of Civilized Europe, and you're like, wait a minute, what? Um, you know, sometimes you have things like that that happens in the United States that you're like, wait, what? That happened? This is America. Um, and so it was like that, like, wait, what? So who did all this? Abusing and stealing and burning and killing. Um, I'm just using one of the pogroms um, in a town called Zydemar, um, just for example. Um, it was a, a military unit is coming through. So post, there's a, there was a whole world war. And so you, what you end up with is kind of soldiers that um, are just kind of floating, you know, young men who leave home and become soldiers. So they've not kind of been anything else but this. And then, you know, who knows what they've done during this war. So just a lot of, um, a lot of soldiers around that don't 
necessarily have like a really good structure to them. And then the other thing is, and soldiers always have done this, unless they come from a wealthy country that is sending them supplies, you take supplies from where you're at. Like you steal, basically. You go, um, do you remember um, the history of the American Revolution? Part of the problem was people by law had to let soldiers live in their house and you had to feed them. Um, and that's super normal. Um, I think modern warfare is, un, is not normal that, you know, you get meals that come from home and can make it for months. But normally you're taking from wherever you're at. And so they were doing the same thing. They, they would, um, so that's kind of where it started, people going into towns and, um, and, and military guys, um, not necessarily with authorization from their commanding officers, starting trouble. But here's what's really interesting about it is next, the, the next people in this place that would start looting were kids and women. Because kids and women, what kind of trouble are you going to get into? You know, I'm just like, I'm a little, I'm innocent. Um, people who are less likely to suffer harsher repercussions. I would not have thought that. Like, I would not have... I would have thought, okay, the soldiers come in and they're stealing stuff and then like big strong guys in town would come and be the next people. Um, and that was, that was not the case. It was, it was people who would not, were least likely to get in trouble. That's bad when you're willing to do stuff. Like you've got, you would never do this unless, cause there's, cause you'd get in trouble. But the second the threat of getting in trouble is over, you'll do these things. And that's just throwing off restraint. Like, what is restraining us, right? Is it an internal, like, is there a kingdom inside of us whose law we love, like, loving the law of the Lord, like, it's our life inside of us that governs us from the inside? Or are we only held together by external forces, and the second they're gone, we lose our stinking minds? Um, What came after that were um, other local people, and... Like according to like the testimonies in in this book, um, people like your your milk lady, um, the doorman, like a lot of um, like a, like apartment building kind of places would have a doorman, and this was somebody you saw every single day. This was somebody that you trusted. Like they would help you carry your things up. They've been in your house. They've maybe had tea with you. They know where your keys. You know, just like your your servants. And what was, but what was boiling down inside of a lot of these people was resentment and jealousy that they had, these Jewish people had more than they had. And they despised them. Except they, they didn't, you know, as long as it's advantageous to be nice, I'm going to do that because I need you to, I want this job, I want you to pay me. You know, like how much restraint do we have in our jobs? Okay, well, you're still giving me a paycheck and health insurance, so I have all this restraint in this job, but, you know, would I lose my mind what, the minute I'm going to quit? If I know I'm going to quit, what happens? I think when you're going to quit a job, it's like, it really comes out how you really feel. You know, are you blessing to the very end? Or are you cursing people? Do you have curses inside of your heart that are just waiting to bubble up and bubble over? Um, then the youths came, right? Because kind of like um, they describe it as like a really kind of carnival kind of environment, um, beating people, making them, making men like strip down naked or putting uh, women's clothes on, making them sing and dance, like humiliating people 
but it's funny. And, and it just kind of like, it felt like a, this terrible, sick community event. Um, and it's just kind of difficult to believe that anything like that could happen here. But it can happen. Um, later, um, they, uh, they would interview, they would interview, nobody got in trouble. I mean, nobody got in trouble for it. But they would, uh, some people gave um, interviews um, uh, when Jewish people tried to go to authorities and they would, you know, interview them. And they just didn't show remorse. Um, I read one lady who was like, well, we're poor. And they had, we couldn't afford tobacco. <laughs> and they had tobacco, so I stole it. And everybody else was doing it. Um, why, why would you be mad at me? So-and-so did worse. You know, that kind of stuff. All the blaming. All the justifying and the blaming. Um, and then the, um, these people who had... The, the military guys who had originally come into town, they were, um, they were looking for Bolsheviks. You know, it was kind of this vague, like, we're going to find the spies and torture you until you say you're a spy and you're not really a spy kind of thing. And so... Um, Really, the people that suffered the most were the really wealthy who were the least likely to be Bolsheviks in the first place. It just was a pretense to abusing and stealing. Um, David, um, King David, in Psalm 41, he says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he has lifted his heel against me. And I think I'm talking in a couple of weeks, and I might talk more about what... Um, what the Lord's calling us to do, to be ready to be, endure abuse. And I think that we think about that a lot, but really um, it, it's thinking about being the abusers and the oppressors and what is going on in our hearts that is going to, that could lead us to this place that we don't want to go. The Lord has warned us that we will be persecuted and to let, to let ourselves be taken there willingly that's a whole lot different than to turn into somebody that we, because we were not diligently bringing our hearts before the Lord, that we didn't even know was going on or could happen. Like, you know what it feels like to have something pop out of your mouth that you just were like, whoop. Didn't know that was in there. I don't know what you said. Um... This is just a quote from the book from probably like a psychologist or something. He says, the cost to an individual of joining a riot declines as the riot size increases. Each individual has his own threshold for joining, right? So what would you join into if the cost was so low? Again, this comes back to like, do we have an internal um, government that is keeping our heart in check? Or um, we'll be like, I would do that if other people would do that. Freud, um, he said that we all have it kind of like waiting to bubble up inside of us just for a chance to come out. But we know better. We know that um, we don't have to be people who are just have this thing um, that it would come out if it had a chance. Like we can, we can be free. Um, we, can, we can be free. We can be really, really free of this, and um, the Lord is calling us to be free of it. We're not, um, we're not animals. <laughs> we are people. We don't have to turn into animals. 
Um, I just wanted to read, this is Philippians 2, 1 through 15. I said, um, he says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate that make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other and loving each other and working together with one mind and purpose? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Dear brothers, or dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Um, You know, the Lord, surely the Lord was judging the Jewish people when this was happening. And it's, it, that feels like a yucky thing to say because they suffered so much. But we know um, we have a whole Bible full of, like, the Lord judges his people. Um, but there's no, he brings justice to everyone, you know. Um, 14, about 14 years after the beginning of the pogroms in Ukraine, um, Joseph Stalin on the Soviet's created a man-made famine in Ukraine. And um, not, all, not all people agree that it was genocide, but uh, it was. Uh, three and a half to five million people died of starvation that year. Um, another 10% of Ukraine's um, nation died. And um, one of the hallmarks of this famine was widespread cannibalism. And And I just think, you know, like these things grow. And I just go back to this story about the farmers who are just doing their thing. And like a whole nation and and our selfishness created this, these monster storms um, in the United States because of like all the little decisions. And it turned into something that they never anticipated it to um, and how it just gets rolling and building when we don't deal with the sin in our lives. And 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 how this this like little this these selfishness and the jealousy and the murder that was waiting in in people's hearts just for an opportunity to jump out and like um and they like the devouring like the biting and the devouring and then um 14 years later there's a famine and they're eating their own children um and this was just a quote that I found um, like testifying of that time. It said, the good people died first. 
Those who refused to steal or to prostitute themselves died. Those who gave food to others died. Those who refused to eat corpses died. Those who refused to kill their fellow man died. Parents who resisted cannibalism died before their children died. And we are not called to survive. We are called to die. So it's probably a really good idea to just let this life go and start dying now. Um, are you leading a response? This turned out to be short. Um, Lord, I'm just asking, um, help us to die. Lord, um, if you are giving great grace um, that we could become more clean than we've ever been, um, God, that we want to take full advantage of what you're pouring out. I just see it like money he's giving us, um, and he does not want us to save it. He wants us to spend this grace completely. So, Lord, um, help us to see where we're biting and devouring one another. We're covering it up and making it look nice. We're covering it up so we don't embarrass ourselves by, by lashing out, God. And, and you're trying to tell us that we have got monsters growing in our belly. God, I just, I want to be free. I just want to see your face, and I want, I want to hear you say, good, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want all this um, yuck still in there, because I was trying to be a good Christian, or I didn't want to, um, I didn't want my friends to know how bad it really was. Father, I pray, help us to just give up um, our rights to be to look good in front of one another, to be pretty, just to humble ourselves. Father, we, um, we do not want to be abusers. We do not want to persecute people. But I just know, like, I know me. I know given the opportunity, and if I if it's something I want bad enough, I do that. I do. And I'm sorry, God. Lord, I just pray, give us ears to hear you. Lead us, each person, um, into conversation, the one that you want to have with them. Just thank you, Holy Spirit, for holding hands and walking with us through something that's hard. Find the place of contentment in Christ. Won't give slumber to my head till I find your presence. I won't rest till I find the peace that passes understanding. Change my name, change who I am.